It's been good to have the Hendricks family with us this weekend, hasn't it? There we go. We got some head nods. I know you can't hear it. The head nod is silent, but we got some head nods, and I know you all have enjoyed them and made them feel welcome, and so I'm so thankful for that and uh, really grateful for them to be here, and uh, they're going to travel and go to some other churches in Kansas uh, this week, and then very soon they'll be heading to London, or sorry, to England, and getting... Uh, some more exposure to the country there, getting ready to leave and move over there, hopefully in the fall. So we uh, want to pray and support them in that. And so with that being said, I'm going to welcome Colin up to the pulpit one more time, and let's give him and the Word of God attention tonight as he preaches. You come, Colin. Well, it has been good to be with you. Um, you knew I was preaching tonight, and you came back. <laughs> so kudos to you. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Now, listen, this morning I understand you may have not had a cup of coffee or something before church, and so tonight I'm going to tell a couple more funny stories, okay? And um, you're allowed to laugh. I'm giving you permission now, okay? My wife Callie is here. If you haven't met her, and that's my daughter Hadley. She's four. And then Bo is in nursery, and we're all thankful for that. So uh, he's a handful, and so we're thankful that he has a place to run around for sure. So we're going to be in Matthew, this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew chapter number 14. Now this morning I got up to the pulpit and I like had a little tickle in my throat. And I was like, man, I don't know what is wrong right now with me, but man, I'm struggling. So I was coughing a little bit. And then I realized it's because I sang my face off during the congregational singing because man, it's a blessing. That is some good, that's a good way to sing those songs. That was such a blessing. And I hope you uh, understand and recognize that that is the way to have music. And if you sing out and you get into involved, I promise you it'll bless your heart, but also encourage others as well. So Matthew chapter 14, verse number 13 this evening, <clears throat> it's a familiar passage of scripture. I'm going to move forward. Since all y'all sat in the back, I'm going to move a little closer. So I don't have to see Brother Mike. He's seen me a hundred times. We're okay. So if I, if I get past him, that's your own fault because you said all the way in the back, okay? Matthew 14. Verse number 13, look at this with me, the first verse. We'll read a few, and then I want to pray with you once again. Look at this. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Verse 15, and when it was evening... The disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. <coughs> this evening I did it again. I sang my face off during congregationals, and I told myself, Don't do that, because you're going to be coughing as soon as you start. And I did it again. So let's pray. Ask the Lord to speak to us tonight, and then we'll get into the passage. Lord, we're thankful for your word. <clears throat> so thankful for the opportunity to gather around and just hear from you this evening. Lord, I pray that you speak to hearts and help us. Help us to take what you have for us tonight and just moving forward, choose to follow you and obey. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. So I went to Bible college in Oklahoma City, <clears throat> and when I was there, I worked at a hotel, and I parked cars. 
So I was one of those guys in like the little monkey suit vest and they give you, you know, and they tell you run as fast as you can and bring your car back. So I was a valet. And so me and a handful of guys, man, I did it. (coughs) There it is. So me and a handful of guys all worked together at this hotel. And while we were at this hotel one night, working and just getting ready to, to go home, it was a slower night. And so me and a buddy named Trey um, started to walk towards the parking lot to get our personal vehicles. And on the way there, we, it, was, it was raining. It was kind of like it is outside tonight. It's wet. The roads are wet. It's dark. It's kind of cool. So there's not a lot of people out. And Oklahoma City on a night like this would be, the downtown area would be almost desolate empty. And so Trey and I are walking to the parking lot, and we decide that we were going to have some fun in his car. And two 19-year-olds, fun in a car means you're going to be spinning the wheels, burning rubber, and, you know, doing things you probably ought not do. And so on the way, we decided we're going to go fishtailing. So I turned to Trey, and I was like, Trey, let me drive your car. Now, I want you to get a picture of Trey because it helps the story just be a little bit more fun, okay? So Trey's like six foot four, but he's got what I call a tater tot haircut. And so his tater tot haircut at times will make him like six foot nine. I mean, he's just, it's a big, I mean, he's a big dude. And so Trey and I are walking towards his car. I'm like, bro, let me drive your car. He's like, no, I'm not letting you drive my car. I'm like, come on, let me drive your car. And so I'm begging him all the way there. And he drove what, what we thought was the coolest car in the world. It was a 1986 sun faded inside and out Caprice. This thing was probably as wide as these two sections, okay? You could fit like a queen mattress in the trunk. You know what I mean? I mean, it was like a gigantic vehicle. Had the two bench seats, so we thought it was the coolest car in the world. It was actually awful, but we loved it. And so, <clears throat> as we're making our way there, we finally get to his car, and I look at him one more time, I'm like, Trey, let me drive your car. And he's like, fine. So he throws the keys over the top. I grab the keys, I, I hop in, open the door, I slide over the bench seat, and Trey hops in. We exit out the back side of the parking lot in Oklahoma City. And if you've ever been to Oklahoma City, if you've never been, you're not missing much. If you have been, you probably went to downtown area called Bricktown. And here's what it is. There's a bunch of restaurants and things like that made out of brick. That's what it is. It's, I mean, it's not that special, but it's Bricktown. So you have Bricktown, and then you have the normal side of, of downtown. And we pulled out from Bricktown, went under the brick archway, and we're at a red light. And to my left is a parking garage. And to my right is the Chase uh, building. It's a pretty tall building in Oklahoma City. And so we're here, and we're about to pull out. It's red. And I turn to Trey. I'm like, okay, Trey. Hit the gas hard and turn the wheel. He's like, yeah. I was like, sweet. So I'm holding the steering wheel. Remember, it's a boat. And so I've got the steering wheel. The light turns green. I pull out real wide, and I hit the gas as hard as I can. And we're... Our, the tires are spinning good. So I turn the wheel all the way to the left, and then we're successful. The back end of that, that Caprice swings way out, and we are fishtailing, and we are having a good time. But all of a sudden, the good time turned into, okay, we've got to be halfway responsible here. Because we were facing, the lane goes this way, we were facing a concrete median that separated the two sides of the road. And so when I saw the concrete median and our, and our car is doing this towards it, I turned the wheel to the right as hard as I can, and I made a mistake, and I slammed on the brakes. Now, here's why slamming on the brakes was a mistake. I swung the back end of the car out back to the left to miss the concrete median, but now we were facing, remember I told you, 
There was a parking garage. We're facing the parking garage. When I let off the brake and tried to turn the wheel back to the left, the car caught traction <clears throat> and launched us toward the, toward the parking garage. Now, this is when the story goes into slow motion, okay? We hit the curb and the car went airborne. At that moment, we both realized we don't have seatbelts on. And so we're both in the air as well. The front right headlight hit one of the main pillars of this parking garage and hit, I mean, crushed the front end of this car. When that happened, our bodies kept moving, if you can imagine how a car wreck works. I caught all of the steering wheel here, and my head caught the little visor, but since it's a 1986, everything was made out of metal, and no plastic was existing at this time, and so my head was gashed open. Trey didn't have a steering wheel, so he hit the windshield. I know, I'm a really good friend, right? The car lands, we fall back into our seats, and come to find out, the front right wheel completely broke off, the radiator broke in half, and the back axle was broken half as well. We both survived. Trey's alive today. He got married like two months ago. Okay, fast forward a few months. I totaled his 1986 Caprice. Trey no longer has a car. I have to give him a ride everywhere. Fast forward a few months, and we are driving once again. Me, Trey, and a handful of guys in my vehicle. We go to breakfast one morning, then we go to the church that we went to in Oklahoma City, and they don't have Sunday school that morning because it's a special day or something, so they have an extended morning service. And so we had to, we had went breakfast, and then we pulled into the parking lot early, and there's nobody there. And so as I'm pulling into the parking lot, all the guys hop out while the car is still rolling. Now, remember, we're a bunch of 19-year-olds, okay? So I throw it in the park. I hop out. I chase after them, going towards the church. But Trey doesn't follow us. He's at the car still. And we all turn around. We're like, Trey, come on, come on. Now imagine the big six foot four, tater tot haircut, goofy dude is standing at the car being silly. And we're like, come on. And he's not coming. So I walk all the way back. I'm like, Trey, come on, dude. And as I'm approaching, I realize he's standing like this. He's got one foot out a little forward. And I'm like, what is he doing? And he's kind of waving his arms, you know. And I get up close enough and he yells, you're parked on my foot. And so I had centered the tire over the top of his foot. So I hop in the driver's seat, I roll off of his foot, he walks away like 15, 20 feet, and then I re-park the car. Now, like I said, Trey survived, being my friend, and he's alive today, and happily married. But I have a question from those two stories, okay? I want you to answer honestly. Would you say I'm a good or bad driver? Okay, you can laugh, but is it good or bad? Bad. We got bad, okay. Now, I'm going to ask my wife the same question, okay? Callie, am I a good or bad driver? I'm a good driver. So what's the difference, right? You have two really bad 19-year-old Colin Hendricks stories about my driving. She has thousands upon thousands of miles in the vehicle with me, and I've never parked on her foot, <laughs> ever. And so with that in mind... Here's, here's the difference. It's perspective, isn't it? It's perspective. And we all have a perspective on how we view life and, what, and the way that we look at things in life. We have a perspective. My perspective is a West Texas raised man. My wife's perspective 
is a Northwesterner from north of Seattle, pretty much from Canada. I said, y'all. She said, hey, okay? And so when we got married, we realized we had different perspectives. The first time I was at her um, home visiting her family, her, my future father-in-law said this, hey, we're going to have a barbecue later. I'm excited about barbecue. I'm from West Texas, brisket, pulled pork, barbecue. I walk out to the grill. Mark opens it up. The smoke clears, and he says, would you like a hamburger or a hot dog? Now, that's not a barbecue. That's a cookout. Just because you're outside doesn't make it a barbecue. The food is the barbecue. Cooking out, that's a cookout. See, perspective, okay? And if you've been married for any amount of time, you understand this. You have a different perspective than your spouse. Men, you've probably asked your wife, why do you spend money like that? And ladies, you've probably asked your husband, why do you leave your shoes all over the house? I mean, okay, that's only happened in my house. That's fine. It's cool. We'll, we'll roll with it, though. But, but we all have a perspective, even from state to state or city to city, right? And so when we have a different perspective, it relates to everything. Politics, the way we spend money, the way we save money, the, the type of church member we're going to be, the type of employee we're going to be. What is a good work ethic? What's a bad work ethic? And you can go to England, and these are very obvious. One that's not obvious is this. We were teaching our children, because we lived in Texas, to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. But in England, it's actually improper to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am to regular people that's reserved for the royal family only. And so, well, we had a perspective change. And so we've, we've been trying to figure out a, a respectful way to teach our children to respond to adults. And so it's, it's all different perspectives, right? But today, I don't want to talk about money or politics or parenting or church membership or anything like that, but I want to talk about what's in our text here, and oftentimes when we approach the Bible, our perspective is challenged, and we should read the Bible willing and open to change our perspective. And so when we get to this text, the perspective that I want to talk about is our perspective toward people, toward people. Now, as Christians, we understand we're, we're called by God to spread the gospel, and when we are called by God to spread the gospel, there's no disclaimer of this is the type of person and this is not the type of person to spread the gospel to. So look at it with me here in verse number 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed by thence by ship, by or departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. Now there's a handful of things here in this first two phrases that we could go over, but I want to talk about this one is when Jesus was departing to a desert place, what was he usually going to do? He was going to pray. And so I heard one preacher say this, Jesus, he would come apart before he came apart. You know what I mean? You ever feel like you're just falling apart because you've been busy, pulled in all different directions? Well, Jesus was 100% man, though he was 100% God at the same time. He, he, was, he was the same as we are, so he got tired. He was teaching and preaching and ministering and healing and doing all of these things. And now it was time, okay, I'm going to depart. I'm going to go spend some time with the Father. I'm going to pray, and I'm gonna, just going to have some time for some just some spiritual rejuvenation. And so he departed by ship, but when the people heard of it, look at this, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Now, <coughs> I imagine Jesus is there praying in, in, in the desert place. It's quiet, but if you hear thousands of people in the middle of the woods, right, it would be pretty obvious something was happening. 
So I imagine Jesus is there praying and he hears the multitude. And it says this, verse 14, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude <clears throat> and was moved with compassion toward them. Now this compassion, I've heard it explained a whole lot of different ways, but, but the one that I like the most is this. It, it was the perfect mix of love and sorrow. The perfect mix of love and sorrow. Now we understand John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And so Jesus, His whole mission was fueled by the love of God. But sorrow, that's kind of an interesting one to think about, but really the simplest way that I could think to explain it is this, that Jesus knew what life should have been like without sin. He knew the Garden of Eden before the forbidden fruit had been eaten. And so he knew that the sorrow, the sorrow that sin brought. And so whenever he saw this multitude, he was moved with love. But he also saw them and he knew their name. He knew their family background. He knew how many hairs they had on their head. And he saw them and he knew their family situation. He knew their ailment, their sickness. And he was moved with compassion, the love and sorrow of the Savior. And what's he do? Does he throw a throw a fit, throw a sandal on the ground and say, I'm done with this. No, he doesn't. What's it say in verse 14? He healed their sick. He was trying to have time away to pray and to, to get some revitalization, some rejuvenation. And then the multitude, I mean, honestly interrupted that time. But he was so moved with compassion toward them that he takes the time to heal and minister to them, healing their sick. Now, between verse 14 and 15, there's some time that has passed. And I love whenever we have the opportunity to see an interaction between Jesus and the disciples. I don't know about you. I can relate to the disciples a whole lot, especially Peter. Anybody else put your foot in your mouth on a regular basis? That's me. I did that today at lunch. And so it just happens sometimes. I'm dumb. And so well, that's the first time I've ever called myself dumb in a sermon, but it's true. I am. And so... Here in verse 15, I love because the disciples, they come up with this plan. And I've read some that say this plan was so awful and so wrong and blah, 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 blah. But honestly, I look at verse 15 and I think it's a plan that has a level of compassion for the multitude. Look at it with me here. It says this, And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, came to Jesus, saying this, This is a desert place. Good job, guys. Number one's right, okay? Here we go. And the time is now past. It's like they're saying this. Look, we're out in the middle of nowhere, and it is the latest that it could be for these people to take care of what they need. Look at this. And it says this. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves vittles. Now, this has a level of compassion, doesn't it? They see the multitude. They see that they need to take care of themselves. They see that they're needing to go get some food. So let's wait until they have the maximum amount of time with Jesus, but also the least amount of time that they'll be able to get what they're, the necessities that they have for the day. But often, and just like in this instance, Jesus challenges their perspective. Look at this. He says this, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. Has, 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 have you ever been challenged by the Lord and, and the moving of His Holy Spirit to do something that's outside of yourself and outside of your ability? 
And he says this, give ye them to eat. Now, we have the blessing of having the multiple uh, accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and they give us, a, they give us um, different perspectives, you can say it that way, different viewpoints of miracles. And one of them, Jesus sends the disciples into the crowd, and they go find a little boy that has a lunch, and they bring it to him, and they say, we have here five loaves and two fishes. But one of the disciples says this, but what is this among so many? Right? And so then, I love this here, we have verse 17, and they say unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. Bring, me, bring me what you got. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and were filled and they took above the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. Now, that's an amazing miracle. Probably one of my favorite miracles of all time recorded in the Bible. I don't know if it's because it involves food or not, but I absolutely love this miracle. And when I read it, it's challenging to me because a lot of times Jesus does a miracle, and would do a miracle, and he... He just did it. He would touch the blind, touch the leper. He would speak what was going to happen, and it would happen. But in this miracle, he involves his disciples. And I love this because we have the perspective of, this perspective of Jesus who needed some time away, who needed some rejuvenation, who, was, who departed from a busy, busy ministry to get away. And then when it gets interrupted, he doesn't throw a fit, or get upset. You ever had a long day at work, try to sneak in through the garage and get into the house, and then all of a sudden, as soon as you shut your bedroom door, you have this, mommy, daddy, right? And you're like, Whew. now personally, at times, I can rip the door open and say, go talk to your mom. You know what I mean? I'm the only, trans I'm the only person like that, and maybe. But Jesus has that with the multitude, and he heals their sick. He's moved with compassion. He sees their need. He's moved with this love. And then we have the disciples who are learning from Jesus, who are ministering with him on a regular basis. And the disciples are like, okay, what can we do with this situation? And what's he do? He challenges them to do more than they've ever done. And so tonight, I want to talk about this, the two perspectives, because Jesus challenged the disciples to have more compassion than naturally came to themselves. You follow me here? That naturally could come out of them. Now, if you're like me, you have levels of compassion for people. You're partial if you're like me. If you're not, you're way more spiritual, and I understand. But think about this with me. My, my crew of three, and Bo is included in this right over here, I have a lot of compassion for them. I love them deeply. I will do a whole lot. I will bend over backwards. I will make my life much harder to make theirs much easier. Then there's other people who I don't have the same feelings for, who I have little to no patience, who I can watch on the news and I can get red-faced mad. Are you following me here? And I can watch clips of our southern border in my, my beloved state of Texas and I can get upset. And I can look from our West Coast, right? And I can be upset about 
you know, there's a saying in Texas right now, people are making a killing off of it. It's this right here. Don't California my Texas. People are making hats and t-shirts. It's, it's probably going to be on a belt buckle at some gun show one of these days. And you know what's going to happen is people are going to make a killing off of that. And guys at Bethany Baptist Church, they, they're into it. My, some of my teenagers, they're into it. And I think it's great. Honestly, if it wasn't so divisive, I'd probably buy one. But I'm not. And so... And I, and I try to remind our guys, look, yeah, don't California my Texas, but we can't be so concentrated on how somebody votes, are you following me here, that we forget the gospel. I know, that's not fun, is it? Because, because we're passionate about what we think is right and wrong. Because we're passionate about what, what we believe is the right way. When we were in England, um, we had a few, we, we spent three out of our six weeks in London, and we spent about 10 days as a family by ourselves. And during that 10-day time, we went to multiple different sites, and, and you saw a lot of them on our video. One of them was the largest Hindu temple outside of India, and then also <clears throat> another one was the, one of the largest mosques in the city of London. And this mosque, this Islamic mosque, held three to 5,000 people every single prayer time. Now, this is a huge mosque, and if you can imagine the middle of nowhere, London, that's exactly where, where it was. We rode a train for an hour and a half, and then we rode a bus for 30 minutes, and then we walked for 15, and we made it to the mosque. When we got to this mosque, it had 10 to 12 foot construction walls all the way around. Now, Matt, you're in a foreign country. I know it doesn't sound like it, but I have a very thick American accent. And so we're there, and we're walking around this mosque, trying to see it, but there's no way to see it. And I, I, I turn to my wife and my babe, I guess we're not going to get to see it. And because this is a bad missionary story and a really good missionary wife story, this is what happened. She said, no way. We just took all this time to get here. I'm going to go ask that security guard. And instantly, I went into fight or flight mode. But before I could say any words, she was walking towards this guy to go ask him if, she can, if we can go see this. And so I'm standing there with I mean, two strollers, and my mind is running 1,000 miles per hour. And I'm like, what is going on? And she's talking to this, uh, this security guard who's an Islamic man, and he calls on his radio in Arabic. He gets the call back in Arabic, and he says to her, y'all, he doesn't say y'all, but he says, y'all can come with me. And he takes us to the backside of this mosque, on the backside of this property, probably a city block and a half back. It's getting close to a prayer time for Muslims, so people are starting to gather at the mosque. We are the only people that look and sound like us, okay? My heart is beating out of my chest. I am a nervous wreck, and my wife's having this great conversation with this guy. Can I tell you something? I have no idea what was said. Zero. Because I'm like, my adrenaline is pumping. I'm looking for the nearest exit. I mean, all of the things, right? We get some pictures, we get some things, and we go and, have, and walk out. <clears throat> I noticed on our way out that three or four other security guards had gathered just in case, I guess. And so they show us the mosque. We walk out, we get on our bus, we take our bus, and then we get to the train. When I sat down on the train, it was like this thought came across my mind. Whew. We made it. But at the same time, it was like the Lord smote me in the chest, and it was like, Colin, when did the gospel cross your mind? And I, I, honestly, I had, I had to be honest with the Lord because he already knew it, it didn't. 
It didn't cross my mind. And, and I've prayed prayers like this. Lord, send somebody to them. But through that conversation with the Lord on that train, it was like, He said, who better than you? Who better than you to tell him? You were right there. And it was like, why are you even here visiting? Oh, because I'm thinking about being a missionary. (laughs) And and, and all of these thoughts and all of this stuff was going through my mind. And it's because I had the wrong perspective. Because I looked at that man, not like Jesus looked at him when he went to the cross of Calvary for him, but I looked at him like an American, through my American perspective. Because I looked at him as someone that hates our country and likely hates me and my Savior. And I saw him more of a threat and less as someone that needs to know the truth. And I was convicted. But I believe I may not be alone when I say someone may have, that, that the Lord may have laid somebody on your heart tonight. That maybe there's somebody at your job that you think there's no possible way they would even listen. Maybe it's a neighbor that has two barking basset hounds. We have one. That I'm like, why would you buy two of those, right? And, or, or maybe it's a neighbor that, maybe you don't do this, but there's some people in my neighborhood that are kind of feuding and... It's fun to watch from a distance. It's not nice, but it's fun to watch. But maybe you have some neighbors that you're like, man, those people are kind of crazy. Or maybe it's the, the uncle that you wish wouldn't show up to the holidays because they do things all the time, and you're like, this is not okay. And then you wonder, why do you even come? Maybe it's that, that coworker that, that you think is really lazy because they don't work hard, and they disappear when the hard work comes around, but then they show up as soon as it's done. And, and, and you look, you have less compassion for them because they're kind of at odds with you. And we can all be partial and we can all struggle with this. But tonight I want to challenge us to step back from our perspective, the scope of our perspective, and look at it and say, does my perspective match the perspective of the Savior? Because when we have Christ-like compassion... It leads to action. When we have disciple-like action, it leads to things like this. Whew, we made it. Lord, send somebody else to go tell them. Lord, I'm going to tell pastor about that person so he can go talk to him. Lord, Lord, I, I'm asking that you, you, you do something on behalf of that person so they can come and know the Lord. When we could be the very tool that God has to show the compassion of Christ. But if we have disciple-like compassion, it will lead us to inaction. And so we have to stop and think and look at our perspective and say, am I looking at people through my built perspective? And I understand it's hard. Our perspective is built through the events and the things that we've learned all throughout our life. All throughout our life, our perspective is built But we have to be able to look at the Word of God and say, okay, God, where do I need to change? And maybe your compassion isn't Christ-like compassion tonight. And maybe you struggle with that, because there's times I do, and there's people that I, to this day, struggle with all the time. But 
the amazing thing, and I think something that's applicable from the passage tonight. Verse 18, he said, bring them hither to me. Bring me what you got. Bring me what you have. You see, we all have lack of compassion. There's times that we struggle with the amount of compassion that we can naturally muster. But it's amazing how when we bend the knee and we go to the Lord and we ask Him and say, God, here's the compassion I have. Help me have more. It's amazing how we can stand up once again and have more compassion than we ever could naturally have because He supplies it. He had the compassion to take it, to go all the way to Calvary for every single person. And, here, and, and here's what happens is this. We can have this compassion and look at verse 18. He gave it to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. It wasn't that he, the disciples were breaking the bread and multiplying, but Jesus was. And so they would run out of bread and run out of fish whenever they were serving the people. And who would they have to turn back to? They'd have to turn back to the Lord and turn back to the Lord. And they would feed the multitude and turn back to the Lord. And there's going to be times where you feel like you, you drain your compassion tank all the way down and, and within five minutes. And you say, Lord, give me more. And it's amazing how he has enough. So much so, I promise there will be leftovers. But... We have to be willing to challenge our perspective. And so where are you at tonight? Has your compassion lacked? Have you, have you reached the point with someone that you say there's no hope? Maybe you've, you've been praying a prayer, Lord, send somebody, but maybe God is sending you. But you've got to have the compassion of our Savior. And it's amazing, Christ-like compassion will lead you to action. Don't sit on your hands. Don't close your mouth but have the compassion of our Savior and do something, okay? Let's pray, and I'll turn it over to your pastor. Father, we're grateful for the compassion that Jesus showed us. Lord, I pray that you help us to have the compassion that led Jesus to the cross of Calvary so we, Lord, could know him. Help us to have a level of that compassion to be able to minister and share the gospel with people that need to hear it. Lord, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Colin. I want to read a verse uh, from Psalms, and uh, if you want to think of how, how do we show compassion, Psalms 86 is great. Psalms 86, 15, it says, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. What does it look like to be full of compassion? Have grace? That just means be kind. I like long-suffering. It literally means to take a deep sigh through your nose. Some of you are like, what on earth? You ever had the... That's long-suffering. <laughs> I felt that this week. And plenteous in mercy and truth. So let's pray that God will help us to show compassion uh, to people uh, because God has shown compassion to us. Thank you so much, Colin. Uh, I'm going to have Colin and Callie head back to their table and hope you will... Uh, fellowship with them and uh, wish them well. And of course, uh, we're going to be praying about uh, taking them on support and we'll discuss that later as a church. Um, but thank you, church, for being so involved today and being faithful.